Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly. I have been on a brief break as I attended the wedding of my best friend of 21 years, but I am back with another Missing Monday. For those who are new here, Missing Monday is a segment that was created by Kenzie and I to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. On today's Missing Monday, I will be sharing the information about Antoinette Cayadito. Before we dive in, I just want to start by saying that this case is an older one, and these cases are typically harder to find a lot of accurate information on. Over the years, information gets skewed, speculation gets put out there as fact, and rumors run rampant. However, we always say that no matter how old the case is, these victims and their families deserve their story to be told. Also, not only is today's episode of Missing Monday, but it is also an MMIW case. Anthonette was a part of the Navajo tribe in New Mexico. She was born on Christmas Day in 1976 to her mother, Penny Cayadito. When researching this case, two men come up as being the father of Anthonette, and I couldn't positively confirm who was her actual father. The two men would be Larry Estrada, who it is assumed is most likely her father, and Anthony Montoya, who is suspected to be the man that Penny had been dating at the time of Antoinette's birth and the father of her two younger siblings. But it's important to note that at the time of her disappearance, Penny was not dating or together with either man. Anthonette lived with her mother and her two younger sisters, Wendy and Sadie, in Gallup, New Mexico. Anthonette was described as your normal little girl. She loved listening to music, especially Michael Jackson and Ronnie Millsap. Her favorite color was purple. She was described as being level-headed, extremely smart, and wise beyond her years. She was friendly, caring, dependable, and so responsible. She was so responsible that she somewhat took on a caregiver role for her younger sisters. By the age of six, Anthonette would cook for her sisters, she would iron their clothes for the week, and was really involved and active in caring for them in a mothering way. In April of 1986, Anthonette was nine years old and was attending fourth grade at Lincoln Elementary School. There, she excelled in school and was awarded a fitness award. From everything that I saw about Anthonette, she and her siblings were very close with their mother. They enjoyed going to church together, having Bible study, and oftentimes, despite having their own rooms and beds, they would sleep in the bed with Penny. Also, a lot of what I found about this case was that Anthonette was so responsible that her mom felt comfortable going out many evenings of the week with friends often frequenting bars. Sometimes the girls would have a babysitter, but sometimes it was just Anthonette who would take care of her siblings. Which I know some of you may be shocked about this, but let's remember this took place in 1986. Times were so different back then. 
People were way more trusting, doors remained unlocked, kids unattended, and we would play outside until the streetlights came on. My, how the times have changed. On the evening of Saturday, April 5th, 1986, Anthonette was home with her sisters, and on this night, they had a babysitter. Penny went out to a local bar called Talk of the Town, which was located on the U.S. Route 66, and I could not find any further information about this babysitter or who they were, but what we do know is that Penny came home around midnight, making it now Sunday, April 6th. Penny told police that she came home around midnight and the babysitter went home. After the babysitter went home, despite it being super late in the night, Penny allowed her three daughters to stay up with her. The three girls chatted and just hung out, spending mother-daughter time together. The two younger girls ended up falling asleep in their mother's bed, while Anthonette and Penny stayed up until around 3 a.m. So after 3 a.m. is when the timeline gets a little shaky and there isn't real solid details about what exactly happened, but reportedly a knock came to the front door. It was said that Anthonette and Sadie were both still awake when the knock happened, but if that was accurate, then Penny would have still been awake as well. So I'm going to assume that this knock took place sometime after 3 a.m. and Penny had already fallen asleep. Perhaps Anthonette was still awake or had just recently fallen asleep and the knock is what woke her back up as well as Sadie. It is said that the knock came and both Anthonette and Sadie got up out of bed together and approached the front door. There are a couple different reports on what happened after this knock came, but some suggest that the girls asked who was there, looked out the window, or possibly a peephole and saw a man and a woman. Other reports suggest that it was just a man at the door. Again, this case is fairly old and a lot of different reports have came out about what happened and not all of them lined up. However, all of the reports state that the girls did not answer the door. There's rumor that the girls spoke to the person through the door and didn't recognize the voice so they went back to bed. Later in the early morning hours, sometime between 3.30 a.m. and 7 a.m., another knock came. What happened during this second knock wouldn't be known for years later, but what is known at first is that the second knock came. A male voice could be heard, and Anthonette got up again to go to the door. Around 7 a.m. Sunday, April 6th, Penny wakes up to find Wendy and Sadie in her bed, but Anthonette was not. Which this wasn't unusual, however, because Anthonette oftentimes woke up earlier than the rest of the family and would get up and begin breakfast preparations or other duties in the house. Shortly after waking up, Penny got out of bed and began doing her daily routine throughout the apartment. What was quickly apparent, though, is that Anthonette wasn't inside at all. Penny noticed that the front door as well as the safety screen to the outside of the house was unlocked, which she remembered locking both when she dismissed the babysitter the night before. Penny recounts what happened when she realized Anthonette wasn't awake in an old episode of Unsolved Mysteries that I found. She states that after realizing Anthonette wasn't inside, she and the younger girls went outside looking for her. She states that they went to all of the neighbors' houses with zero luck finding Anthonette. She started racking her brain on where she could be. 
She remembered that the neighborhood kids had been looking for a lost dog in the days before she went missing. She began considering that perhaps Antoinette had left early in the morning to help once again search for that lost puppy. Penny and several neighbors began searching the neighborhood and the surrounding hills calling her name to no avail. After some time of calling her name, searching, and asking other neighborhood kids if they had seen her daughter, Penny called the police. It is said that Penny was told that an official report could not be made until her daughter had been missing for 24 hours. The official search by police for Antoinette would not begin until the following day, Monday, April 7th. Investigators arrived at the home off Arnold Circle and began their investigation. They had investigators speaking with Penny, Wendy, and Sadie while another investigator began searching inside the home. It was during this time that the police were made aware of the knocks that had happened on the door in the early morning hours of April 6th. Penny had claimed that she never once heard any of these knocks. Many people speculate that the reason Penny never heard these knocks was because she was intoxicated and or high and was passed out. Which again, this is where rumors can come into play. I couldn't find anything solid about Penny's history with drug use, but it was apparent in many of the articles that I read that she did enjoy drinks frequently. Either way, Penny knew that her daughter was well aware that we do not answer the door for strangers, and she knew in her heart this isn't something that she would do. It was also very apparent that there hadn't been any kind of forced entry into the home, and it was noted that nothing looked out of place or as if a struggle had happened. When Penny was asked about any of Anthonette's clothing, shoes, or other belongings being missing, everything was still there, which meant that when Anthonette had been taken, she was still only wearing her pink nightgown she had been wearing the night before. She also was barefoot. Quickly, the search began to spread beyond the neighborhood. Multiple agencies were brought in as well as a search dog, and unfortunately, the dog was unable to pick up any kind of scent beyond the home where Antoinette lived. In the days after she went missing, authorities did all they could, searching the surrounding areas and going door-to-door to to speak with anyone who may have seen anything. It was during one of these door-to-door stops that they got the first piece of information in the case. A neighbor had seen some interesting activity happening in the neighborhood just hours before Antoinette was reported missing. The neighbor stated that in the early morning hours of April 6th, she had spotted what appeared to be a brown truck or van that had New Mexico license plates parked just outside of the complex where Antoinette lived. Apparently, at the time, the neighbor didn't even think twice about this vehicle. It wasn't uncommon for Penny to have people come and go from her home in all hours of the night, which leads me to another rumor that surrounds this case. Many people speculate that perhaps Penny herself was involved in some sort of drug sales, and this is why the neighbors would see such frequent activity around the home despite the time of day. Again, This is just a rumor and speculation. Nothing of this nature has ever been confirmed, but it is something to consider. Either way, the neighbor didn't think much of it until the search for Antoinette began. She told investigators that she saw a man get out of the vehicle and knock on the door of Antoinette's house sometime between 6.30 and 7 a.m. She didn't pay much attention beyond that, but one of the other neighbors also confirmed the story because they too saw the vehicle and the man. 
But unfortunately, neither of the neighbors was ever able to give any kind of description of the man because both had paid such little attention because it just didn't seem out of the ordinary. When questioned, nobody in the family nor friends could think of anyone they knew with a brown truck or van, let alone a brown vehicle at all. Authorities were left with literally nothing to work with. There was zero physical evidence, no real eyewitnesses that could lead them into any one direction. But they were quite certain with the two witnesses stating the man in the brown vehicle that this was an abduction. And with Route 66 being so near to where Antoinette lived, they feared that she was taken far away. Authorities called off the official ground search for Antoinette just days after she went missing. However, they were still doing all they could to get the word out. Alerts about her abduction were sent across New Mexico and made a big deal to those cities that Route 66 passed through. Crime Stoppers also put up a $500 reward in hopes that the money would help someone come forward with information. Authorities refused to back down and continued working hard on trying to figure out what happened to Antoinette. But Penny and Larry Estrada felt that their efforts weren't enough. According to the podcast Trace Evidence, Penny decided to contact a well-known Navajo medicine woman and asked her to come perform a ceremony which is known as a handshake ceremony in hopes of getting some sort of information about her daughter. But nothing came of that ceremony. While Penny and Larry felt investigators weren't doing a good enough job, authorities felt like they were putting in maximum effort following all the leads that would come in, all of which would lead to dead ends. But one name did come up several times during their investigation by several neighborhood kids. The name was Wesley Daniels. Wesley Daniels, who also went by Wes, was a 62-year-old service technician who lived in the neighborhood and had taken a liking to the boys in the neighborhood. He would approach boys in the neighborhood and tell them he wanted to take them on a picnic. He would take the boys on a picnic where he would then sexually assault them. According to a news article I was able to find from the Albuquerque Journal, published June 22, 1986, Wesley Daniels was charged with 12 felony sex crimes against four boys between the ages of 9 and 11. In this same article, it states that when Penny had heard the news, she reached out to several of the boys within the neighborhood, and all of which stated that Antoinette never was there during these picnics. She had also stated in the article that she does not believe Antoinette knew Wes and that she was not that outgoing with strangers. Many more months would pass with zero leads until just after the one-year anniversary, authorities would receive a call that made them believe Antoinette was still alive. On April 12, 1987, the Gallup Police Department received a call from a young girl stating that she was Antoinette Cayadito and that she was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The call was abruptly cut off when a voice can be heard yelling, quote, who said you could use the phone, end quote. And then the little girl begins to scream. I have the audio to that call, which I will play for you now. Albuquerque. Who said you could use the phone? Hello? 
Authorities believe that the voice heard in this audio is male, but in my opinion, it almost sounds like it could possibly be either female or male. Either way, the call was way too short for authorities to track to any one location, and no other calls would come in after. The authorities decided to play this audio for Penny in hopes that she could either identify if it truly was her daughter or if she recognized the other voice. Penny stated in the Unsolved Mysteries episode that she knew that it was her daughter in the way that she pronounced her last name and from her screams, but the other voice wasn't one that she knew. Here is what is interesting about this call and worth thinking about. This call wasn't placed by someone calling 911 like you would assume a child would do if they were able to get a hold of a phone. This call was placed directly to the Gallup Police Department, which meant that the person on the line had to have known that number to be able to call it. Now, people speculate over the authenticity of this call. How could a little girl know the number to call? Because this number was the Gallup Police Department's non-emergency line. When I consider the possibility of how Antoinette could have known the number for the Gallup Police Department, it makes me wonder if it truly was her. Did she happen to find a flyer of herself and hid it from her abductors and called when she could? Or perhaps her abductor was playing a game with investigators and had her call and staged their then remarks about her being on the phone. I'm curious to hear your guys' theories about this call. Either way, this call gave hope to Penny and the rest of the Gallup community that she was alive and hopefully could be found. The police kept this audio hidden and under wraps for several years before they would release it to the public. They had fears that If they release this information and her abductors caught wind of it, that this could potentially put her in further danger. So they held this phone call close to the vest and proceeded with the thoughts that Penny knew her daughter's voice and the screams, so it had to be legit. The call would not be released until 1989, and when it did, it brought life back into the investigation, and people's attention once again were focused on where Anthonette could be. The call brought in tips as well, all of which were followed and all of which led to nowhere. But at least Anthonette was being thought about again, at least for a brief time. The calls began to slow again and once again the case would essentially go cold. In 1991, two age-progressed images of Anthonette were released to show what she would look like at her now age of 14. Four months after those pictures were released, police in Carson City, Nevada would be contacted by a waitress who thought she had possibly seen the young girl. I was curious as to how far Carson City was to Gallup, New Mexico, and it is around 870 miles apart, which is roughly a 13-hour drive. The waitress said that just a few hours before she phoned in that she had served a male and female couple and a young lady who appeared to be in her early teens. She described the couple as looking unkempt. The waitress didn't become concerned until the young girl had dropped her fork on the floor. When the waitress retrieved the fork and went to place it on the table, the young girl grabbed her hand and squeezed it firmly, to which she didn't think much into it other than it being a little bit weird, but she continued her work and retrieved the young girl a new fork. 
after the three had left the restaurant, she returned back to the table to begin clearing it for the next guests. When she picked up the plate where the young girl had been eating from, she found that there was a napkin that had been placed under it. Written on the napkin was the words, quote, help me call police. When she went to go look for them after finding the napkin, the three had been gone for a while. But while racking her brain about the situation, it came to her that this young girl somewhat resembled the images and descriptions she had seen of Antoinette. There is a lot of speculation as to whether this truly was Antoinette, and unfortunately, it is a situation that could never be confirmed or denied. But it once again sparked a fire under authorities' butts to keep pushing harder in hopes to finding her. They decided to go to the school of Wendy, Antoinette's sister, to chat with her again just to see if she could remember anything further. At the time that Antoinette was abducted, Wendy was just five years old. She was now 10 years old and maybe jogging her memory would spark something that she could remember from that night. What she tells investigators was not what they were expecting. Wendy initially told investigators that on that night she had heard the second knock, but she went back to sleep when Antoinette had gotten up. Now she tells a slightly different story. Wendy states that instead of going back to sleep, she had actually gotten up out of bed and followed behind Antoinette when she went to the door. She stayed back further in the home while Antoinette approached the door. She states that Antoinette called out asking who was at the door, and the man on the other side allegedly stated that it was Uncle Joe. The girls did, in fact, have an Uncle Joe who was married to Penny's sister, so when Antoinette heard that it was him, she willingly opened the door. As soon as she had opened the door, the man reached in, grabbed her, covered her mouth, and dragged her out into the street, all while Antoinette tried kicking and fighting off her abductor. The man then threw Antoinette into the back of a waiting brown van before speeding off with her. This was all new information to investigators, and they asked her why she hadn't come forward before with this information when they had spoken to her when she was just five years old. Wendy stated that she had been scared she was going to get into trouble. She said that all of the grown-ups were crying and were so upset that she didn't want to make them more upset about what she had seen, which investigators believed Wendy and could understand what she was thinking being only just five years old at the time. Unfortunately, Wendy couldn't give any kind of physical description of the male who abducted Antoinette other than the brown van. I'm not sure if this is because she didn't get a good look because it was dark outside or if this was because so many years had passed and she was trying to call on memories from when she was so little. But either way, this did give authorities some information and a better understanding of what exactly happened. Authorities did go to question Uncle Joe and he did have an alibi for that night that checked out. But this brings us to a great point. Whoever had abducted Antoinette had to have known that there was an Uncle Joe in the family to get her to open the door. So in my opinion, this seems like whoever it was that abducted her had to have been someone close enough to the family to know the full family dynamics. This new revelation didn't really help the investigation, though. 
It did, however, confirm the eyewitness statements about the brown vehicle, but beyond that, the information did little for the case. Once again, Penny decided to turn to the medicine woman for guidance and answers about her daughter. This time, they did a ceremony called a crystal ceremony, where it called to the spirit of those that are missing. The medicine woman stated that she felt that Anthonette was still alive and being held somewhere with threats of violence. She also said that she felt that Anthonette had had a baby and that she was being held captive by someone she knew. Not long after this meeting with the medicine woman, Penny and the investigators on the case did the interviews for the Unsolved Mysteries episode that would air in December of 1992, just days before what would have been Anthonette's 16th birthday. Their hope with going on Unsolved Mysteries is that it would again generate more leads, but unfortunately, it did not. Only a few new tips came in, which were followed up on and again turned up to be dead ends. Nor would there be any more big breaks in the case. In April of 1999, Anthonette's mother, Penny, would pass away at the age of 46 without knowing what happened to her daughter. It would be later reported by Wendy that Penny had spiraled out of control and began drinking more heavily and began using drugs, which Wendy also followed suit in her later years of life. Thankfully, despite the troubled younger years, Wendy was able to turn her life around in the early 2000s, but she claimed that Anthonette's abduction had also caused her to spiral just like her mother. Which I find so sad because I can imagine the guilt Wendy had knowing that maybe if she had screamed or woke up her mom when Anthonette was being abducted, she could have maybe been saved. Despite the guilt that I'm sure Wendy felt, it was not her fault. She was only five and who knows what could have happened to her if she had tried to help her big sister. Over the years in the late 1990s and the early 2000s, several Jane Doe's had been discovered, including one that was found in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that seemed extremely promising. All of the Jane Doe's would be ruled out and Anthonette would remain listed as a missing child on the FBI's website. Though the FBI closed their investigation on what happened to Anthonette in 2002, the Gallup Police Department still has an open case on her. DNA has since been taken from Wendy and Sadie in hopes that if Anthonette was ever found, they would be able to positively identify her. Many years after the passing of Penny, an article would be published in the Gallup Herald not long after the 24th anniversary of her disappearance. In this article, retired detective Marty Escabel would make a statement that brings up a whole lot of questions. He stated that, quote, I'm pretty confident Penny had knowledge of who took Anthonette based on her failing a polygraph test administered by the FBI, end quote which this would somewhat line up with the medicine woman's spiritual reading that stated that Anthonette was with someone that she knew. The rumors had always been brewing on this case in the local Gallup area, but they more so grew when people noticed that Penny seemed to have more money than normal not long after her daughter went missing. She had apparently also purchased a new car. This led people to wonder if Penny had sold her daughter and could give reason to why the person behind the door also knew to mention Uncle Joe. 
Of course, once again, I've said it a million times, this is just speculation and rumors that have run rampant since the case began. All should be taken lightly and not as proven fact. This past April marked the 35th anniversary since Anthonette had gone missing. KRQE reported that the FBI renewed their search for the missing girl. They released an age-progressed photo of Anthonette as well as showing what she could look like as an adult today. There are several theories in this case that I will briefly go over, but I want to know your guys' thoughts and opinions on what happened to Anthonette. Be sure you're in our private Facebook group called Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group so you can be a part of the case discussion. The first theory on this case was that Anthonette was truly abducted by some random stranger in the middle of the night. But given the fact that this person called out that it was Uncle Joe at the door really makes me just think that this was someone closer than a stranger. The next theory is that Penny did indeed have something to do with this case. It was rumored, as I stated earlier, that Penny could potentially be involved with drugs. Perhaps she had some sort of drug debt that was owed and she used her daughter to pay that debt. Whether it was drug debt or just that Penny Cayadito knew more than she was letting on, many people speculate that this was the most likely scenario. The third and final theory is that someone within the community abducted Antoinette, whether she knew them or they only knew her. Whoever it was, in my opinion, knew well enough who Uncle Joe was to Antoinette. Whether that information was fed to the abductors by Penny or just common knowledge in the community, I'm not sure. But lots of people speculate that Antoinette is still out there somewhere alive and well. They believe that perhaps she could have been brainwashed into forgetting that she was ever a missing child or that she is in fear of her life so she won't come forward. At the time that Antoinette was abducted, she was 9 years old, approximately 55 pounds and 4 foot 7. She was last known to be wearing a knee-length pink nightgown and possibly a silver chain with a small turquoise cross pendant. She is described to be biracial, Caucasian and Native American female with black hair and brown eyes. She also has dark colored moles on her right cheek, nose, back, and both hands and on her right knee. She also has a scar on one of her knees as well as on her lip. Her ears are pierced. If Anthonette is still out there, she would obviously look quite different, and in our Facebook group, I will provide the age-progressed photos that have been released throughout the years. If you or anyone you know has information about the whereabouts of Anthonette Cayadito, you can call the Gallup Police Department at 505-863-9365. You can also call the FBI directly at 505-889-1300 or go online to tips.fbi.gov. Crimeaholics, be sure that you also follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. That is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care. (music) 